All right, so today we're going to be talking about giving up your life. Um, last week we talked about giving up your enemies. Well, where uh, Elder Matthew Rojek encouraged us to, uh, to love, and sometimes he, that means turning the other cheek. Sometimes that means turning over tables, but always being yielded in the spirit. Amen? And so today I'll be uh, continuing with uh, giving up your life. Now, if you who are in discipleship here at MacAv, that concept of giving up your life is not new, right? If you look through our discipleship binder, you'll see documents that talked about uh, living the forsaken life, uh, the cost of discipleship, um, giving um, godly stewardship, um, when you think about some of the great men in our body, like uh, Pastor Eric Russ and, uh, and Elder Nate Eggers, who wrote a book, um, Default Christianity, that same theme of uh, we needing to give our lives, give our talents, give our treasures unto the Lord, um, is a reoccurring theme that you hear uh, frequently here at McGav. And so when I got this topic, I was thinking like, uh, I mean... What else can I say on it? But uh, so I want to kind of do it from a different perspective. I want to kind of somewhat play the role of a counselor because I think that there's 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 times in our Christian walk, right, where we're we're walking with the Lord and we want to give up our lives and we're just walking along. And sometimes we fall into a, a, a pothole, right? Or, or sometimes we may fall into a, a crater or sometimes we fall into a pit and we find ourselves in a situation where that life we want to live and we want to give up our lives, but we're, we're, we're trapped and we're falling and, and we can't get up. And so what I would like to do today is really um, talk to you about living an abundant life and also talk to you about a spiritual disease that I think um, can prohibit us living that life that God has called us to live. Amen? And so I want to preach to you about giving up your life and giving up defeat. And I know that sounds a little seeker-sensitive, <laughs> but promise me, you know, you'll hear the word sin eventually. Amen? <laughs> All right. Um. Let's see, can we get the first passage? John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. All right, we're going to do a little Bible study here, right? So question, what is the opposite of life? Ah, Very good. What is the opposite of abundant? Need. All right. So the opposite of life is death. The opposite of abundant is need or lacking. Right. So would it be safe to say that? Well, when we go to the scripture, it says Christ came so that we may have life and that we may have life more abundantly. So what can we assume we were before Christ? Dead with a life that was severely lacking. Amen. Um, 
And, and so Christ came to give us life and he came to give us life abundantly. But once again, sometimes that life seems so like impossible to live. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, there's nothing worse than seeing a redeemed believer live a life where he's defeated, where he's just kind of waiting for heaven to come. Because heaven, right, is, the, is when the good times start. It's when the party starts, right? But Jesus did not leave heaven to come to this earth, take on flesh, to be born into poverty, put under the law, undergo the miseries of this life, endure the wrath of God and the curse of death on a cross, and be buried so that we may live gray rice cake type of lives, right? Amen? So I want to talk to you about this abundant life and also, once again, that spiritual disease that can cripple the saint and leave us defeated. Now, this scripture in John is a very popular passage. It's a passage that you you that has been hijacked by prosperity preachers who who would say that this life that Christ came is one of health and wealth. This scripture to them is like their great commission. When we read the great great commission, we hear go out and make disciples, right? But they use this as their great commission to say, go out and get prosperity and get health and get wealth, right? But as we looked at the definition or we kind of looked at our life before Christ, it wasn't that we were living lives that were unhealthy and broke, even though some of us have, right? But it was that we were dead. And not only dead, but dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, and to... Next slide, please. And kind of flesh this out, I want to take you to Ephesians 2, 1, and 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, Christian, my brothers, my sisters, have you ever pondered that truth? The fact that you were once dead. Hmm? You know, and I I love that Paul says you and he says we, because in that sense, we all have the same testimony. You know, our testimony may be different in how we sin. Right. I had a major in lust. Right. When I when I was uh, in the world, some of you had a major of chasing the American dream. We all had these different sin patterns and directions that we went. But the reality of it is, is that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I think about the good old days or those days that we will call the good old days. And I thank the Apostle Paul that he, he takes us down this trip back to memory lane because sometimes we could forget where we came from. And I'll be hanging with some of my homies from the old hood and we'll be talking about the great days when we were young and athletic and run and had hair and all these other great things. 
and we're talking about our exploits on a basketball court and everything, and it was great times. And then the conversation go from the black top of the streets of Detroit to black nights in the streets of Detroit. And what they what the conversation began to talk about those good old days where you know we were out chasing women and living the life and partying. And just living for ourselves. And to them, it's still the good old days. But for me, it's like, wow, those were my, those were my dead days. Those were dead days, frightening days, dark days. And you see, those were days when I was and you were once totally depraved. That word totally depraved is a, is a theological term. And, and what it means is that before Christ, right, all men were totally depraved. Total in the sense that your mind, your body, your soul, your entire being was held captive to the bondage of sin. And, and, and depraved mean that in that condition, you didn't act the way that you were supposed to be. We were created to give God glory and to enjoy him forever. But in this depraved state where we find ourselves is living to our own glory. We find ourselves with this wicked bent towards corruption. And I know when we hear this word depraved, oftentimes we think about the worst of the worst in our society. We think about Stalin. We think about Hitler, right? We think about the sex trafficker. But what scripture tells us is that that was all our realities. And the only difference between you and Hitler is that God might have God had a little more restraint on you because you could have very easily been even worse than him. And even Hitler wasn't as bad as he could have been. So that's our state. Our mind is dead. Right. We we don't even have the ability to please God. Now, it's not saying that we can't do a good thing. We could take care of our kids. We can, we can take care of our parents in their old age. We can help a, a lady across the street. We can adopt a pit bull, you know. <laughs> AJD. Um, we could do good things, but the problem is that all these good things are done with the wrong motives. They're not done in faith. Right? They're not done to the glory of God. And you may think you're doing it to the glory of God, but the reality of it is, is that you have created a God that likes that stuff. All right? And so that's our state. And to kind of flush that even more, let's go to Romans 3, 9 through 20. It says, what then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. But we all have already charged that, uh, that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks of God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. They venom of is under their lips. Their mouth is full of courses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
And in this state, we can't please God, worship him, love him, be grateful to him, respond rightly to him. And quite frankly, we didn't even care. For this saints, this, this would be a sobering, sobering thought. Because we weren't just dead, right? But we were dead in our trespasses and sin. It, was, it would be one thing if we, were at, if we were just dead and we just kind of sat there. <laughs> but no, we was, we was racking up charges. We were breaking the laws. Right. And we just stacking up these charges day after day after day. Actually, second after second, because remember, your mind is held captive. Right. So every thought. Right. Was done not to the glory of God. Every thought was a trespass. You know, how many of you think all day? Right. So that means you were sinning all day. Amen. Keep it going. Romans 2, 5. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are, or impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. All right. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But what? The wrath of God remains on him. Think about it. That whole time that you were just doing your own thing, you had the wrath of God upon you. And family, that was you. That was me. That was we. We deserve death. We deserve to bear the full wrath of God. We deserve to be forever separated from our wonderful creator. And we deserve to be left for dead, hopeless in the bondage of sin, following Satan and his minions into eternal damnation. But God... Amen. That see, you was like, oh, is this going to be a whole hour of this? No. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But grace, by grace, you have been saved. But God, after hearing our plight, after hearing our situation that we were in before God, I mean, how beautiful is to see these words in scripture that says, but God, we should run around this community just yelling, but God, just tripping people out because they don't understand what we understand. We understand, but God, that we should have died, but God. But God is merciful and he has compassion and he has pity on his enemies. But God. And, and he, he is love, right? He's merciful. He's love. He's just. Now, the just thing, remember, is hell. 
But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who shall ever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting what? Life. But God. You see, in our dead, sinful state, we were on our way to perishing. But God is merciful. So instead of hell, instead of death, we got Jesus. Romans 6.23. I might have not put that on it. But it says, for the rages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And that gift comes to us through Jesus. Right. And Jesus, he's our, our savior and our demeanor, demeanor, redeemer. Amen. Next slide. He's our, he's our all. He's our, he's our sacrifice. And I encourage you to just capture, take these scriptures home and, and meditate and read through them over the week. He's our sacrifice. He paid the penalty, right? What you should have got, he got. He was our propitiation. His death appeased the wrath of God. I love how John Piper says that on the cross, Christ took what would have took eternity for us. On that cross, he bared the whole wrath of God. Something that would have took us eternity, right? Eternity to pay for, to pay for. Christ did that. And then not only that, right? Ephesians 1 says that we were sons of disobedience. Or in some translations it says sons of wrath. But because of the reconciling work of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, we now can have reconciliation with God where he doesn't look at us as rebels, as sons of obedience, but now he looks at us as his sons and daughters of righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he's our redeemer. We were in a bondage to sin and Satan. But Christ freed us from that bondage, right? He freed us from that bondage. He sacrificed, he paid the death, and God received it. He paid the ransom, God received it, and now we are free from the bondage of sin. And now, you ready for this? It's possible to live that abundant life, right? Let's let's go into scriptures. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised and raised us up with him and seated us uh, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in 
Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the abundant life. That's, that's the life that you receive from Christ. Not this life of looking for love in all in wrong places. Not a life where, as the, uh, the great prophet of the world, Pharrell, you know, his happy song, where happiness is the truth, right? But this abundant life that God, that Christ has secured for us. And let's talk about this life. Our awakening, right? Remember, we were what? Dead. But now we are regenerated. And what happens is is that God does this work in us where he awakens, he quickens our dead soul so that now we are alive and we can respond Right. You hear the world talk about common sense. Now we have our divine sense because now we can begin to see what's going on. And and he also we are given the gift of faith. And so now we are awakened. We now uh, understand what's going on. And so when we hear that great and beautiful gospel call that there is a, a, a good God that saves bad people who sent his good redeemer, right, to save us. When we hear the gospel and we hear the good news, we now can act in faith that he gave us, right? And and sometimes when we talk about this doctrine of total depravity, um, you know, there's a lot of people that disagree. They say, well, I think we got a little something in there to respond. But once again, we were dead, right? Right? All this is God. All this was God. All you did was screw everything up. But God came and cleaned it up. And he gave us the gift of faith. So now we can respond rightly with what? Repentance. In Ephesians it says that we were just following the path of the world. You know, just going along with the flow. Whatever those ideals were, right? Just following the flow, heading to death, stuck on stupid, right? But God gave us the gift of faith that allow us to repent and go, whoa, wait a minute. Good God, bad man. I don't want this. I don't want to go down this path. I don't want to be this lustful, adulterous, lying, thieving, murderous man. I don't want to go chase the American dream. I want Jesus. I want you, God. And so you repent and you run to the cross. And then we are given salvation. We are saved, right? And and we are given eternal life. And so now it's like we we got this, this wonderful life where we're awakened We got our divine senses, right? We get this this newness of life with Christ. He paid the penalty, so now, you know, we don't have to face the ultimate penalty of our sins, which is death. And now we can live this wonderful life here, preaching the good news, telling the world what Christ is doing, what God is doing in the world, testifying to his goodness. All right.
Is that my beard? Oh. All right, I'm going to try. Is that good? All right. And then after we live this life, we go on to glory. <laughs> or Christ comes first. But either way, it's all good for us. Amen. It's all good for us. And then we are equipped for kingdom work. We now been given the Holy Spirit who works in us, empowering us for kingdom work, guiding us, growing us in Christ likeness, illuminating us to the scriptures and breaking down cultural and ethnic walls to unify us and producing in us love, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So we display to the world the goodness of God as well as being able to thrive in the world because there's still sin out there, right? We're still here and there's still trials and tribulations and things that we're going to go through. There's still the miseries of life because, but because now we have the Holy Spirit, we can thrive in those situations. Now, because we have the Holy Spirit, that, that sin that is still here, that will still be in us until we are relieved from this flesh, right? We now can kill it. We can crucify it, right? So we could become more like Christ, right? And see more of God played out in our lives, right? This is the abundant life. This is a good life, amen? This is a great, great life. So the abundant life is living in total surrender to our Lord and Savior and proclaiming and testifying to the world of what God is doing in his creation through Christ. I can just go to benediction now, right? Well, I got a little more time, so I'll keep on going. Now, saints, as we are walking with the Lord, we will inevitably find our walk coming to a halt. There will be a time that this life doesn't feel so abundant. In fact, this life will seem impossible. And the joy you experienced when you were first saved will feel like a distant memory. Instead of giving up your life, you're just going to feel like giving up. Have you ever felt this way? Or do you feel this way now? You know, even the great King David suffer in this way. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? All right. Have you just, just been in this place where it's just like, uh, your soul is just vexed. You, just, you feel so heavy, right? Have you felt this way? If you had, it's normal. When you go through, when you do a survey of the Old Testament, you know, you see that those great men that is in Hebrews 11 and the, and the Hebrews 
Hall of Faith fame, that we call it, right? There's times where they struggled with this. There are times where they felt low, right? There's time where their soul was cast down. And so if you feel this way, I don't want you to feel like you're weird. You're not. You're normal. And, and, and might I suggest why you feel like that? May I suggest why you, you, you are having the spiritual blues? Why your soul is, is moaning? It may be because you are caught up in the sin of unbelief. Now, unbelief, and let's go to that. The sin of unbelief is not to trust in or believe or to doubt the promises of God. Right? It is, a, it is at times a bizarre, paradoxical place of both belief and unbelief in which the saint acknowledges that God's word is true, but struggles or lacks the spiritual maturity to trust or live in this reality. Right. And so it's this, 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 this contradictory life where you believe, but you don't believe. You, you look at scripture and you can look at everything that's going around you. You could be in this church and I love this church and you could see like God doing great things in the life of the body here. You could see people coming to Christ. You could see people um, having victory over sins. You can see people like you can see marriages being healed. Right. You can hear the prayers, but then also hear the praises. Right. You see all these great, wonderful things going on. And then you can also look in scripture and you can memorize scripture and you can see all the promises that God has for you. But you just can't live in the reality. Right. And and it's bizarre, right? Because God gives us the gift of faith, right? He gave us to that. But we must understand that even though we are free from the bondage of sin, even though God gives us the gift of faith, that it's it's a young faith. And it's a faith that needs to be matured and grown grow grew and 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 what happened is God sent these trials but we don't respond rightly to the trials instead of responding trusting in God right we respond in doubt now this um, now unbelief is a broad topic but I just want to narrow it down to uh, right now uh, unbelief as it pertains to being weak in the faith. And what I want to do is uh, I want to take you to uh, a passage of scripture where we could kind of see this paradox of both believing and unbelief at the same time. Mark 9, 17, 17 through 27. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has spirits that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Uh, 
Um, so I so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. Now let me kind of tell you what was going on. There was this, this, this father, and he had a son, and his son was demon-possessed, right? And his son was, we can, we, we think he was an adult because when Jesus asked him how long was he like this, he says, from his childhood. And so the father, you know, seeing the, the miracle worker, seeing Jesus give uh, sight to the blind, you know, voice to the mute, right? Seeing all these wonderful things going on, he goes, ah, I could, I'm going to take my son to this, to this teacher, Right? But when he brings his son, I guess, and I don't, uh, he, he, he goes to the disciples. And the disciples were trying to cast out this demon, right, but couldn't. And so now they're having this discussion, like trying to figure out what's going on. It's almost like when your car don't start. You're kind of like, what? And you pop up the hood and you're trying to figure out. They're trying to figure out what it is. Whoa. All right, I'm going to shave next time. Um. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water and to destroy him. But if, he, uh, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, all right. If you can, have somebody ever said something to you that was so silly, all you could do is repeat it back to them? You know, it's just like, I'm Jesus. Like, you don't see what I'm doing in the world, right? If I can, and this is when I would love just to see the expression on Jesus' face, right? Because even when you look at this passage, of scripture. Can I switch to the mic? All right. I mean, is if you can, and it, there's an exclamation mark. So Jesus was just like, wow. All things, but then he says, all things are possible for him who believes. So the father comes up to him, to Jesus, with the if. If you can, and Jesus throws it back at him. Because it's not about rather if Jesus can, all right? It's not about if Jesus would. It was about this man and his faith. And then when Jesus pulled his card, the man called out. Oh, because Jesus says all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief, right? This paradox is not new and is, is not foreign to man. So that's why I don't want you to feel like, like you're going crazy because here we, we see it playing out in, in scripture. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. This man believed that 
Christ could do it, right? You got to think about his plight. He, he, he had this son who was demon possessed from his childhood. And it, and it seemed like he was a good father. You know, this is just my commentary. It seemed like he was a good father that he loved his son and son. And he was trying to find some way to help his son. And when he heard about Jesus, he packed up everything and he, and he went there was something that was driving him to Jesus where he did believe, but from somewhere, somewhere unbelief and doubt creeped in. I don't know if it was there on his way to see Jesus. I don't know if the, if the disciples, you know, after they couldn't cast out the demon, if it, if that seed was there, but all we know is that Jesus called him out and all he could do was cry out and say, I believe now help my unbelief. But God, right? You mutant deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing with him, convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. Right? Faithless people. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now, fam, the one thing I want to point out to you. Right. Unbelief uh, is it, it, a spiritual disease. And just like diseases go, you know, a lot of times you don't know when you first got it. You don't know when you first caught the flu until you catch the chills and now you're in the bed, right? But it was already there, right? You didn't know about it until it manifested. It's the same thing in this passage where this man thought he believed until Jesus challenged him. And then the truth came out. And so family, what I want to do with the little time that I have here left with you, I want to help us be able to identify unbelief in ourselves as well as see it in the body, right? So that we will be able to be on guard and we will be able to minister to one another. Amen. Now, Five signs that you are being overtaken by unbelief. And so I came up with five because I ran out of A's. Um, That was a joke. Um, These are like just five signs that I have seen in my life, as well as life living in the body of Christ here and in other ministries and in other churches. And so the first one is annoyance. We become annoyed with godly counsel and the word of God begins to sound cliche. So here we are. We're struggling with something. We're living in doubt. We're not trusting in the Lord. Right. And then some Christian comes to us and say, hey, lean not to your own understanding. Or, hey, we could do all things through Christ. Or they come and give you the the great godly counsel to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you're looking at them annoyed, like, thank you, Pastor, obvious. I know that, right? You're annoyed with it. It sounds 
cliche. You know, the person might, he, he just should have came up to you and say, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Life is like a bunch of chocolates, right? <laughs> it's cliche. You're annoyed by it. Why? Because you're, you got this seed of doubt. You're not believing. And, right, have any of y'all been that way? You know, I know I've been in that, you know, sitting with, you know, Pastor Leon and he's trying to encourage me in the word and I'm just annoyed. And it's not him, you know, or I'm sitting with my mad group and they trying to encourage me and it's not them, but I'm annoyed. You know, my wife, I love her and she'll give me a godly word. And it's always funny because I know my wife is like, dude, you came up to me crying. (laughs) And I turn around just annoyed, right? Amen. Am I the only one? All right. So annoyance. Second, anger. We become angry with those who love us and hold us accountable. Right. You always cut the people close to you. So now you are annoyed. Right. And now you're angry. You angry at God. You're angry at the body. You're angry at the mission because now you come to Macav. You get into small group. You open up everything about yourself to small group. You give up your life to come here to live in the hood. And now you like your um, something happens and you're you're wrestling with it and you're doubting if you should have came here. You're you're doubting God, whether he'll persevere you. And I'm not saying that. I mean, and I'm, and trust me, as I'm talking to you. I'm not trying to put you down because I wrestled <laughs> with all of these things, but as you become angry and blame shifting, you're blaming God, you're blaming the body, right? Some of you may be like me. I get an attitude and tell you some of you may be silent, but that anger is there. And then sometimes it eventually comes out and it comes out in unhealthy ways. And so it's angry, anger, and then it's apathy. We become apathetic towards our spiritual life as well as life in the church. So, you know, you just get to that place of there's no hope for me, right? You're just kind of mailing it in. You're going through the motions. You come to church. You're lip sync doing worship. Um, You'll go to small group. You'll come to an outreach. Right. You're going through emotions. Right. You, you're really not caring. And then you become a spiritual Debbie Downer to the rest of the body. Right. Where you're just you're not caring about yourself, your family, the church, the community. You know, you're just throwing yourself a big pity party, a me party for one. Right. You know, and um. And just one more point about that. You just, you just, you almost feel like, you know, there's, there's no hope for me. And then when people try to minister to you, right. And they try to minister grace to you because you're angry and you're not thinking right. You know, it's this thing where it's just kind of like, all you do is hold me accountable for sin. And it's like, no, we're, we're preaching grace to you, right. We're loving you. We're patient with you. We're even taking your darts and your bullets, right? But you need to believe, right? And right now you're in sin, right? 
And that's, you know, that's, that's an indictment we always get here at Metcalf from people. All y'all do is talk about sin. No, we, well, we do, but it's not all we talk about, you know. But we do realize that sin will kill you. It will leave you crippled. It would take you out of the game. It would leave you what I would call self-checked. And what that is, if anybody played basketball, you know you're on a court, and it's that one person that can't play. So it's a four-on-four, right? But you're basically like, he ain't got no game. We're just going to check these people. He's self-checked, right? You ain't worried about him shooting a basket, laying it in. He just He's just there with his nice pair of Jordans. Because that dude always got on the freshest kick kicks but he's self-checked and sin will leave you self-checked it will leave you on the bench so when we see you wallowing in self-pity or see you in sin yes we're going to say something because we love you but we're also we're going to be gracious and we know that hey this is a walk and we want to come alongside you amen and i got a friend that's struggling with homosexuality and he, he always get to that point where you just don't know. You know, you haven't been in my place. And you know what? I know but God. I know his scripture. Right? I don't need to know what it is to be with a man. I know that I was once dead. I know that I was once lost. And I know that I was redeemed and I was made alive by a beautiful Savior. And I know that the gospel is not something that just that is just at the beginning of my walk, but it's something that I'm living out. And, it's, and I can always return to that cross. Next one, avoidance. We begin to avoid fellowship. Skipping church, skipping discipleship. You know, you really don't want to hang with anybody. You're just kind of doing your own thing. And then the last. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to experience every last one of those things that I just brought up to you. But one seed of doubt, one mustard seed of doubt can fully bloom into all out rebellion. Apostasy. We become apostate or backslidden. At this point, we are either church discipline or we leave on our own. Because now is out there. You waddled in your miseries. You waddled in doubt. You you basically called God a liar. You 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 basically said he's powerless and you meditated on this and you didn't listen to godly counsel. Right. You didn't you didn't you didn't involve yourself in a fellowship. And what happens? Read a read a Hebrews. Three twelve. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading to leading you to fall away from the living God. Be careful. Be careful. Do not take that. Do not take that annoyance. Do not take avoiding. Do not take that anger. Right. Lightly. It will bring you to a place of a pot state. And what that means is that you're no longer in the place that you were. You're no longer living that that abundant life. You're no longer 
going out to the world and yelling, but God. But you're yelling, why God? Why? I remember I had this, I had a backslidden period. I was teaching at another church. I was in the youth ministry. I was directing you know, the youth ministry. I was in the pro-life movement. I was doing all these things for Christ, right? I'm just high-stepping with my, my head, my eyes, looking at eternity, having a good time. But I began to have this lust, this sin struggle. And I thought that was like, I thought it was gone when I came to Christ. But it, it came up again. And I started wrestling with it and it just began to bloom into other things where I eventually got to the point where I became annoyed. I became angry. I began to avoid. And one day I woke up on a Sunday morning when I was supposed to go and teach Sunday school. And I simply said, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. And you know what I did? I didn't go. The next day, I changed my number because I knew that the people in the church would start to call me. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to do nothing. You asked my wife, and I had, and I was angry at the thought that a Christian, that one of the brothers would come to get me. That's what the sin of unbelief did in my life. And I was backslidden from a time. You know, I went back to the old life. <laughs> but God... His spirit in me. He didn't give up on me. Yeah, I was being a knucklehead, but I was his knucklehead. And he, he brought me back and he brought me at a place of humility and convicted me and, and start to set me back on the course. Right. And eventually that brought me here to Macav. Fam, let us fight unbelief. All right. Next. Ah, giving up unbelief. First of all, repent. At the, root, at the root of unbelief is pride. And earlier I called it a spiritual disease. And, and I'm going to tell you, it first starts with a, a hiccup. You know, it's like, do God really love me? Then it's a, a cough. Is he really able? Then a sneeze. <laughs> Does he really have my best interest? And then hospice. <laughs> right? I know better than God. Right? It's a spiritual disease. And we must mortify it. We must kill it. Be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you as the great Jonathan Edwards said. So repent. It's a sin. And let me tell you something. When you minister in people, right, when you're ministering to them and they're kind of want to throw themselves a pity party, you know, and they're feeling down and maybe they're not at the place where they're just in a rebellious, where they're sinning, but they're just kind of feeling defeated. Call them to repentance. Say you're believing lies. Turn away from that. Confess. It brings us to the next one. Reach out for help from the Lord. The man cried out. He hit in his cry out. It was a confession. I believe help me with my unbelief. You know, there's times where I would counsel people and I would say, man, it sounds like you're not believing God. No, 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 no. I believe. 
I believe, you know, and they could quote scriptures and everything. But I'm like, dude, you know, lost like five pounds and all your hair, you know, <laughs> you're stressed. And it's clearly you're not believing. Right. And here's the thing. If you have doubt, go ahead, confess it. Right. Get it out there. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out just like David did. Right. And then reach out to the body. Right. It says. I'll go to the next Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You're not alone. Give me your burden and I will give you yours. I will give you mine. Right. And let's bring our burdens to the cross. Next one. Remind yourself of the gospel daily. Right. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I I am he who blots out transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord would not count his sins. Well, I had more than I thought. There is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right. Find a list of scriptures to remind yourself. Preach to yourself. David cried out to the Lord. He said, why are why? And my soul cast down. But then he began to remind himself of the hope that he have in God. And that's what you have to do. But we're going to take it to the next one. But then once again, remember, I said it sounds cliche right? It could sound like a one big cliche. Even as you're going through the scriptures, you're reminding yourself of the gospel. But then, fam, you got to wrestle. You got to fight. It's just not going to come easy. Sin doesn't want to leave your flesh easily, right? You know, Jesus does it like this. But man, we, we got a battle. And I love this passage of scripture where it says, uh, I should have practiced his name before I came up here. Ephorus, who is one of you? And that's sometimes what you do. You just read it real fast. So Ephorus, who is one? Of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Wrestle, wrestle. If you don't believe, you know what? You got to wrestle. I remember Russ hit me with the scripture. I think it was uh, in first Peter. You know, five where it says, you know, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Right. It talks about casting out your anxieties and it sounded cliche, but when I looked at the scripture, I was like, this is truth and I want this truth and I want to live in this truth. And I had to wrestle with that truth and I had to study that truth. I had to bring out the concordance. I had to bring out the commentaries. I listened to sermons about this truth. I cried out to God that I want this truth to be a reality that I am not humbling myself under your mighty hand. I wanted it. I wrestled with it. I sent out the prayer 
prayer request. I confessed it to my Mac group. I confessed it to my wife, right? I just said, I confessed it to my discipler. I wrestled, I wrestled, I prayed and I got the victory. Just don't say, don't, don't just send a prayer request up here and you're not fighting. You know, we must wrestle together. Right. We must wrestle and fight. Don't let it take you out. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You got the fight in you. Will you fight? Will we do this together? And lastly, community, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, one, when you're struggling with unbelief, continue to preach, continue to minister, continue to move. It's almost like football. If you ever played football, you might have seen the drill. You know, it's the tackling dummy where you run, you hit the dummy, but the dummy is heavy and it stops, but you keep moving your feet, right? The reality of it is, is that when you're dealing with unbelief, just keep moving your feet. Keep walking in obedience. You may not feel it at that moment, but keep being obedient. Lord, I don't want to do this as a work. I want to do this unto you. I don't, I mean, you're saying humble yourself. I'm going to continue to try to humble myself. You say, go to church. You say fellowship. You say, preach your gospel. I'm going to do all these things, right? Because God can still use you, right? You're not so broken where he can't use you. And he can still use you in this community, right? Our community is dead. They're dead men walking, Right. That's what our community is. But we got the power of the gospel to proclaim truth, right? to awaken them. And so how do we proclaim this truth? They got to get the word. So we want to be inviters. We talked about this. Our pastor's been really encouraging us to be inviters. Why? So they could come and see an abundant group, uh, a, really, a very happy group of people who are living an abundant life, but also that they could come and hear the word of God. I love the fact that we got some great teachers, Leon, Eric, uh, Nate, Matthew, right? JD, we got good teachers here. And every time they preach, you hear the gospel, bring your, bring your neighbors here so they can hear the gospel, Right. And then also as we proclaim it to them in the streets, right? We're proclaiming the gospel to them in the streets, right? Understand what wakes up people. It's not that they got a God-shaped hole in their heart. They're dead. What brings life? God. How do he do that? Through the proclamation of his gospel. Preach repentance. Preach forgiveness. Preach Christ. Amen? And here's the thing. It's almost like, what is that? Is that the fibrillator, right? So you're talking to your neighbor and they're dead. And you, you, you began to do that thing. Nate know what I'm talking about. Right? You got the fibrillator. I, I only watch stuff on television. And you're going, clear. Bam. Repent. Right? So you, you're rubbing it up. Repent. Boom. 
right? They're not hearing it. Hey, come to church. They come to church. They hear Eric. <laughs> Repent. Boom. Right? And we keep doing this. We keep preaching the gospel. We keep living the gospel. And we keep calling to repentance. Right? And we press it. Why? Because they're dead and they're on their way to hell. But we want them to understand what life is. That there's forgiveness. That they don't have to follow that road. That there's another road. And be in prayer. Pray, pray, pray. We can't wake people up. It's a work of God, right? We need to be crying out to the Lord on behalf of this community. Amen. Well, that's all I have for you today. I don't know. I hope that was under an hour. I was really trying to, but fam, what we're going to do now is, um, we're going to have a time of offering, and communion. And this is something that I want you to do today. If you feel like there's, if you, if you're wrestling with unbelief, I, I want you to not just get up today after service and start talking about the game from last night. I don't want you to get up after the service and then just start kicking it about life. If you feel like and you know you've been wrestling with these things, I want you to seek out an elder, a pastor, um, a Mac member, because we all have the gospel. Let us pray for you, right? Let us fight with you. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are a life-giving God, Lord, and that you... That you are a merciful God. Lord, I pray that on this day that, Lord, that your children, Lord, will feel relief. That they will, that they will walk away from unbelief. That they will trust in you and that they will fight to trust in you. Lord, if there is anybody in here who is not saved, Lord, I pray that they will come to a saving knowledge of you. That they will understand that you set the captives free from the bondage of sin. Lord, hallelujah. Thank you so much. And Lord, we love you. And may you and you alone receive all the glory. Amen.